Hello and a warm welcome to Econoday Unplugged on Tuesday, the 12th of January 2021. Mark Penders across the pond stateside. I'm Jeremy Hawkins here in London. Well, I suspect no one's surprised that politics continue to be dominating the headlines, at least since the turn of a year, and that looks unlikely to change any time soon. Still, the economic data keep coming, and there have been signs from both sides of the Atlantic that the near-term outlook for economic growth is a good deal weaker than seemed likely perhaps just a few months ago, certainly before the second wave of the virus really took off anyway. So let's have a look at where we stand at the moment. Mark, I guess it's fair yeah. to say that last Friday's US employment report left much to be desired. So was it a one-off or are we to expect more of the same over coming months? Well, if you look at the graphs, it looks like we should expect more of the same. I mean, there's this ended seven months of employment growth in the U.S. It was lower than expected. It, uh, the Conaday's consensus was uh, moving lower through the week, uh, starting out at about 100,000 gain and um, by the end of the week, uh, uh, looking for 50,000 gain, and it came in at 140,000 contraction, which was uh, well below the low end. The, even the most pessimist, uh, um, the forecast in our sample, which was 50,000 uh, contraction. So it was a very unpleasant report, uh, and we just got Jolt's report today. It's Tuesday, and that uh, is counting job openings um, in the month of November. The data I was just talking about was for December, and uh, we, you know, 6.5 million uh, job openings coming back down, um, and uh, it hasn't really moved anywhere. And uh, uh, so that's a, another negative. The, uh, apparently, employers are, are saying that they're having difficulty finding people uh, mm. to fill their positions because of COVID concerns among the prospective employees and also inability to get daycare. This seems to be a very important issue. And these are all COVID-tied um, problems. And I think what we're going to have with the new administration uh, coming in is uh, going to be an, another round of stimulus. A lot of Americans just got their stimulus checks, which for the very, very needy will delay evictions and will help you know, feed them for the next few weeks. But then after that, there's going to have to be another round of public support. And at the same time, uh, immediate COVID effects are not relenting uh, and the vaccine rollout uh, isn't having an impact yet and uh, so the medium term outlook you know over the next several months is definitely not very favorable so and, can I, show, you know, I mean you over know. here over here I'm sure you're aware you've, uh, the um, COVID numbers have been really bad and economic forecasts are being sort of you know ground lower and lower as, as we speak is there any talk about a possible return to negative growth your side Yes, uh, for the first quarter contraction, that is definitely at risk right now, um, and uh, and we'll we'll have to see how the fourth quarter uh, plays out. Uh, those numbers are still coming in. At the end of the week, we'll get uh, retail sales for December, of course, and this will mm -hmm. be the, uh, the, for the the definitive judgment on holiday sales. And it's hard to see exactly what it uh, you know what we should expect. Uh, it, it, you know, contraction is a possibility, uh, at least uh, a marginal. Uh, contraction yet yeah, also growth could also be uh, possible there too but these are also going to be um, lifted at least to a degree by the emergency stimulus efforts and mm -hmm. if you didn't have those uh, you know we would be and the US would be in a and in, in not a great um, 
position at all. Now, you did, however, Canadian Employment Report, which was also uh, on Friday. And and just looking at it, to me, it seemed pretty much the similar story to the U.S. It was, as you say, I mean, Canada came as a bit of a surprise, I think, looking around the sort of G7 group of countries anyway. Canada's been holding up pretty well and by and large outperforming a, a good chunk of them anyway. But certainly in terms of December, what the employment number was down almost 63,000. Uh, and that came as a real surprise. I mean, the market consensus was a decline, what, slightly less than 30,000. So it's more than double that. But it's, it's got to be said that you know, when we look at some of the breakdown of it, it's not quite as poor as first appearances suggest. I mean, part time joblessness went up a lot. I mean, jobs there fell almost 100,000. But full time employment continued to rise. That was up very nearly 37,000. Um, so although you know, we did see a decline in the partisan participation rate, which may perhaps suggest that workers are becoming you know, that much more discouraged, it's not a great report, but it's perhaps not quite quite as soft as first appearances suggest. I think that kind of view is backed up by the Bank of Canada's uh, business survey outlook, which we had out um, yesterday, Monday, which really came in at quite strong. I mean, although it did suggest that you know current activity, particularly the likes of retail sales growth at the back end of last year uh, was weak due to inevitably uh, COVID effects, businesses have become much more optimistic now about prospects for 2021 to the extent that they're now expecting to start uh, employing again, as opposed to you know some kind of shakeout we saw the back end of last year. They're also seeing uh, a fairly sharp improvement in investment in intentions as well. So you know, the overall picture for 2021 looks at least a good deal brighter than it did in the last report three months ago. Now, of course, this is still very much expectations based and we'll have, all have to see what happens to the COVID numbers and how the vaccines work out. But at least taken at face value, things look a little bit better. And, and I guess that'll be reflected in the Bank of Canada next week when they probably won't do anything. Well, you know, that also brings me back to the U.S., um, report because there was also uh, signs of uh, strength in that. The, con- the, the weakness was concentrated in nearly 500,000 decline. That's 500,000 jobs lost in leisure and hospitality. That which is a is, big chunk. Is a big chunk. Yeah. But if you were, you know, if you're in the professional or in the, uh, in the business services, they did well. Um, if you're in the sciences, uh, they did well. Um, but uh, and this is reflected in average hourly earnings was shot higher uh, as these low end um, uh, lower wage jobs uh, just were um, uh, destroyed on mass. And uh, in any case, uh, you know, it's uh, it, it, even though you're getting a, a separation, you can't really have a, a, you know, a cohesive economy or a cohesive social structure if you have uh, the lower end. Uh, workers just, um, you know, uh, being decimated like this. Yeah, that's right. And I think that's certainly been one of the interesting you know, aspects of what happens to the European economy this year. I mean, it's the same boat here again. I mean, people just desperate to try and get this vaccine delivered as quickly as possible. But where we do have government support programs in place, which are due to expire, I mean, for my own part of the world in the UK, the current furlough scheme is presently scheduled uh, to be terminated, I think, what, at the end of April time. That's going to be when things start getting really interesting in terms of what happens to the labour market. And it may well be that we see, as we've seen previously, some of these support schemes extended yet again, or somehow there's going to be additional help elsewhere in the economy or, or even through the central banks to the extent that that does anything. Um, you mentioned, sorry, yeah. 
Well, update us on on the status through Europe of uh, lockdowns right now. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, basically, it's grim. I suppose the good news in the in overall picture is that the the new COVID infections are declining pretty well everywhere. The UK is a bit of an exception, but at least even here it looks like they've topped out now. Now, as uh, folks probably recall, because it's not just UK now, it's certainly right across Europe and in a big chunk of the world. But it's been this new COVID variant which has been um, been transmitted so much more quickly or efficiently, whatever you want to call it, than the old version, uh, which has been causing these numbers to, to go up so sharply. But what it has mean is that, as mentioned uh, earlier on, you know, expectations for growth have been steadily downgraded because of lockdowns and the like. Earlier on today, there were some reports coming out of Germany, which only, what, a couple of weeks or so ago, extended its current lockdown, um, extended that through to January. Now there's talk apparently that Angela Merkel is warning that they could have another 10 weeks or more if there's no improvement or additional improvement in these COVID numbers. We still have very tight measures in Italy. Spain would appear to be on the brink of another lockdown as well. So I mean, put all this little lot together. The signs are that first quarter Eurozone GDP is going to be potentially negative. It's certainly going to be weak. Fourth quarter from last year, Eurozone GDP is expected to be negative. So it could well be the case that continental Europe as a whole now, we're talking about the prospect of a, a second double dip recession because for the UK side of it expectations strongly for negative growth in the fourth quarter and we'll get a November update a monthly GDP update on Friday which is expected to see the first decline since what back in April so during the first wave of the virus and um, it really does things are shaping up quite nicely over here at the moment and just to highlight it so you talked about the retail sales on your side well we've had November retail sales as ever we lag somewhat behind what's going on in the states but um november retail sales for over your eurozone uh were down what best almost over six percent um and that's the worst we've seen since they slumped almost 12 percent back in april time so um, and that's a that's a monthly uh, sorry i should say yeah that's a month on month number and also is, is that a volumes? Vo- yeah, I'm going to say because it's Europe, it's volume, so it's not even nominal numbers. So we're talking about you know, a, a real sharp downturn there. Um, and you know, looking across the countries, I mean, you've got to say that would have been significantly worse. But for Germany, although they're clearly very concerned about the COVID numbers out there, I mean, retail sales in Germany actually rose almost 2%. And as of November, they're more than 8% above their pre-pandemic level in February. But if you look elsewhere amongst the larger economies, I mean, Spain versus Feb is down, what, about 4%. Italy is 7% down. And France, which saw an 18% collapse in sales, in volume sales um, in November, they're now down almost 14%. So really what growth we did see you know, during the, the latter stages of last year is just been you know, fitted away by these new lockdowns which are coming through. And so had it not been for Germany, which say saw a near 2% increase, the actual you know, drop of over 6% would have been a lot worse. But with Germany, as mentioned earlier, potentially increase lengthen its lockdown. Um, yeah, it really doesn't bode at all well for the way these numbers are going to come in over the next several months. Well, let's talk about France now. France, did they have a <clears throat> those sales numbers in November were very poor. Were they in a big lockdown in November? 
Yeah, they were. They, they they introduced a very hard lockdown then. And I think yeah, across, as you go across Europe, I must say, there are different types of lockdown in place. Everyone tends to refer to a lockdown as a lockdown, but some, if you like, are a good deal tighter than the others. But yes, France went into a full scale lockdown in November, uh, which as I say mentioned saw its sort sales just go down the proverbial tubes. Now, they did ease some of their measures in December, but such have been you know, the numbers coming out of France, the COVID numbers which have been uh, astronomically high by their standards. The easing in lockdown numbers has just been very, very mild. So maybe you get a small bounce back in sales coming through at year end, but it won't be enough to wipe out the damage which has been done by November. And chances are it'll just be short-lived anyway, because there's talk about even more measures coming in at the beginning of this year. So all in all, you know, it doesn't look too good. Now, of course, we've got a, an ECB meeting next week. They've only just announced their last easing package in December time. So it's pretty hard to see them doing anything. But I guess it's uh, the bottom line is that, yeah, again, everyone's hoping the vaccine can be rolled out as quickly as possible. And at the moment, the signs are that most of Europe is running at least somewhat beside, behind target um, on that front, uh, which raises the risk of, you know, fresh you know, lockdown fatigue, which causes people just to throw their hands in the air and start going out and trying to do things they would do normally. <laughs> yeah, so it all starts getting very messy. I mean, UK, the numbers here, as I mentioned, they are really amongst the worst in Europe at the moment. They've just about started to come down now. Of course, as we record this, we have a third lockdown in place anyway. And just yesterday, the government was intimating that there's too many people flouting the rules. The numbers aren't coming down fast enough, so they may make it even tighter. So again, you know, double dip recession talk is very much gaining ground, as is, interestingly, talk about a possible negative bank rate in the UK. And we don't get um, uh, MP MPC meeting for the Bank of England this month. It will be early next month. But crucially, next month, we'll get updated economic forecasts and we'll also get results of the bank's consultation uh, with financial companies about you know, what would be the impact of negative rates on their operations. And if that comes through as indicative, well, look, OK, we can cope with negative interest rates, then I suspect speculation as we head towards February is going to be more and more, well, look, perhaps this is going to be the first time that UK bank rate goes below zero. Um, so there's, you, know, you keep thinking, well, how much lurk and interest rates go or easing be undertaken out of Europe. But it still looks as if it could be more to come. Certainly the, the idea of, you know, reducing quantitative easing or heck no, interest rates going up. That's an awful long way down the road. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I guess well, it's, it's interesting that they're going to, you know, right. for the Fed, it's going to be in the quantitative easing. They're not going to go negative. So they'll, it be, if there is the need to increase quantitative easing, um, uh, quantita th th that's where it's going to be. They're going to just be buying more bonds. Um, Let but, me ask you a question uh, on that front. Yeah. So in terms of the yield curve, I read something today. I mean, obviously, yeah. people always try to come out with stories which you know, explain the data in right. some way, shape or form. And there's talk that um, someone was saying, that, well, perhaps actually the FOMC is quite pleased about the backup we've had you know, at the longer end of the yield curve over the course of the last few weeks or so. Obviously, uh -huh. what we're up about 1.17 on the 10 year now, whatever it is. But anyway, it's been a sharp increase. In actual fact, the Fed's quite happy about this because it tells you that market participants are becoming more confident that policy is working and growth is going to come back. Do you think uh -huh. that's true or do you think they're actually more concerned about the level now and they'd like to see yields come back down again? I think that that is true uh, to the uh, to the extent or, uh, of inflation. They're targeting inflation uh, really very seriously. Uh, 
perhaps even more than employment. Um, this was because of their experience over the last uh, dozen years where you had a very low uh, unemployment rate and no inflation. So it, it became uh, uh, less useful to target employment and, and let's just you know, uh, keep uh, rates low and, and keep stimulating the economy until we do see some uh, kind of response in the inflation. So in as much as uh, higher interest rates could be a signal of future uh, activity, uh, uh, accelerating activity that in turn would increase inflation um, that would get things back into normal or some some kind of a, uh, a system where their policy can be more uh, readable and, and, and more intelligible. I think the breakdown of the relationships in, uh, between employment and inflation is a serious problem uh, when you're trying to manage uh, their existing monetary tools. Yeah, I think that's it. exactly right. And I must say, it's interesting. Obviously, when you look at, look across Europe on the ECB bottom line, really, it's priority given by the you know, the EU treaty, which lays down its um, what it's supposed to be doing, is very much focused on this current near but short of 2% inflation target. Bank of England ultimately has a pure inflation target. And yet we had one of the senior MPC members from the Bank of England today suggesting that it's going to be a labour market, which will be instrumental in terms of where policy goes over the next few months. So I think you know all sorts of you know, central bankers at the moment are trying to weigh up what on the earth they should really be looking at, what they should be targeting, uh -huh. should it be multi-target, single targets, because they really uh -huh. themselves don't know what to do. Uh -huh. Well, you know, there's another concern. I don't want to go on too much, but that um, a financial uh, overreach here and um, uh, too, uh, 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 overinflation of financial assets could be, uh, create yeah. – uh, and this would be due to monetary policy and due to fiscal policy. This is something that's not really being addressed. It's hinted around in the from retired people and, and those guys, you know, retired uh, policymakers on the edges and things like that. But there is a risk that all this stimulus will create – it has created this gigantic bubble. And then a, a, a crack of a bubble is what we saw 12 years ago. It's, it's the historical relation. It's a historical norm. And, uh, and then – and then that would be another issue for monetary policy, and that would be a very, very critical problem. Should Bitcoin and Tesla be where they are? Yes, quite, exactly. Um, there's all sorts of things fanning fires at the moment, and it's really going to be potentially a quite fascinating year to see how it all evolves. Watch this space, as they say. Um, any else I should be? I'll just quickly mention Brexit since when do we ever not mention Brexit? But we'll make it short. Um, obviously, now Brexit is all there and delivered. Um, the UK is no longer part of the European Union. Well, it hasn't been for the best part of the year now, but it's also no longer part of the customs union or the single European market. But they did, of course, have the trade agreement uh, just before Christmas time. So what's happened so far? Well, of course, a lot of firms stockpiled uh, madly. Um, precautionary stocks in anticipation of problems with uh, Brexit really kicking off properly beginning of this year. So it's meant that a lot of the traffic which we'd normally been seeing between uh, our side of the channel and, and the continental European side uh, it hasn't actually emerged. So the, the traffic flows have been a lot lower than you might normally expect. So it makes it quite hard to judge underlying effects currently. But there is an awful lot of unhappiness about additional paperwork that lorry drivers and exporters are having to do. So it's going to be quite interesting to see just how well this pans out i suspect you know, the idea of frictionless trade is is long gone what, what okay. about what about yep. uh, uh, friction between uh with scotland now i saw is uh, now scotland uh I, I saw that uh it almost looked like i don't want to use 
you know, loaded words, but it, it looks like a shakedown. They want more money. Where <laughs> they want compensation. Did you see it? Did you see yeah, that? Of course. I mean, so, well, what do you make of that? Well, I'm just, the Scots are going to try and get more money if they can do, like I'm the Welsh and everybody else. But for Scotland, of course, um, the government must be somewhat scared now that if we see where are the May parliamentary elections in Scotland, if the Scottish Nats, the Scottish National Party um, under the First Lady and Nicola Sturgeon, if she actually gets a clean sweep there, which is a possibility, then the first thing she's going to demand is another referendum on independence, either uh-huh. this year or next year. Now, West Minister under Boris Johnson is refusing that, saying it's a once in a generation thing. We had one, excuse me, just a few years ago. So, no, you're not having another one. But of course, if they get a clean sweep up there, it may be very difficult to resist that pressure. So who knows? Not that bribery is something you talk about in political circles, of course, <laughs> but it may be the case that they actually have to direct some additional funds in Scotland's direction. Well, uh, yeah. The referendum well, pulls down. Well, is there already a, a extra funds going out to uh, to Scotland compared to uh, to England? I mean, uh, d- does England feel that? Um, well, I, I suppose if you're English, you tend to think that Scotland fares disproportionately in terms of uh, the net, the net you know, UK budget, if you like. Yes, transfers are made across the border. Um, but you know, it's, it's also the case that you know, Scotland could, could stand to be hit quite hard um, by Brexit. Um, they, they voted very much against Brexit when we go back to the old referendum. And you know, they did that partly because you know, implications for the Scottish economy might be worse than the rest of the region. Um, well, again, like everything else, I guess time will tell. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, anything else from your side? Uh, well, I guess we have the inauguration, um, and it's on, our ca- it's on our calendar, the Econoday calendar, and, uh, and what it means for federal offices and whatnot. So uh, that should be a, a very uh, important day, and uh, hopefully it will go without uh, any uh, troubles, and, um, and the new administration will be put in place, and new emergency stimulus will be working into this medium-term in-between period of uh, of uh, hard times for uh, a lot of americans let us hope so and indeed for the rest of the world on which cheery note let's um, make that it for um, us today then um on behalf of mark and myself thanks as ever for listening we'll be back next week and in the meantime as mark mentioned do keep up to date with all the key market moving data and events in economy global economic calendar we'll see you soon bye for now <laughs>